everyone. You're listening to Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional ridiculous chats about everything that we seem to think but don't say. Very little is off limits. Sit back, enjoy, and let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by a new company called Rusty Arrows Boutique, Unique Western Wear. Please make sure to go to their website on June 2nd when they launch at RustyArrowsBoutique.com. And guess what? We have a very special code. Use Arrows2 from June 2nd to June 18th. We wish you the best of luck in your new adventure, ladies. Trigger warning, the following segment contains discussion involving addiction that may be triggering to some audiences. Hey guys, welcome into another episode of Little Bit of Life with Little. Uh, we're doing this podcast because the month of May is a mental health awareness month. So we're going to be speaking on today's episode about anxiety, depression, addiction, leading into sobriety, and much, much more. So please welcome my special guest today. His name is Jeremy Richardson. You may know him from TikTok with his adventurous content of life on the ranch in Montana, bull riding, and yes, a secret that we will be revealing at the very end of today's episode. So Jeremy, I am so excited to have you on today's episode. Welcome in. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to discussing uh, all the mental health and uh, addiction topics here today. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Have the listeners kind of get to know you. Where are you from? What's your story? Yeah, I'm uh, 27 years old. I'm originally from Minnesota. Uh, Grew up uh, there and I Kind of ventured out to Montana about two years ago, a year and a half ago, I should say. And uh, I'm just kind of doing my own thing, working from home. I do a little bit of marketing uh, and advertising from home and able to work out on a ranch and live that lifestyle. And it's been it's been pretty awesome. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota dairy farming and being in the fields with my grandpa. And so growing up, I kind of had that country farm lifestyle and kind of want to continue that uh, now in my point in my life and kind of just settle down in the area that I can love. So uh, that's uh, all, all about me pretty much right now. That's amazing. I know so many people, especially with all of the new shows coming out and especially when we're going to be talking about shortly at the end of this episode, it seems like everyone wants to have that life in the middle of nowhere, that ranch style and just the peace and quiet. But I don't think they realize how much hard work actually goes into the day to day. Yeah. I mean, my day, day days usually start around, I wake up, set my alarm at 536 and get going, get, get ready for the day and breakfast at 630 and we're out the door pretty much right after that. And it's not a full uh, breakfast, sit down and eat and sip on coffee. It's it's you eat and grab that coffee. And usually I have a thermos, so I, it's to go coffee. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, we get out, we start feeding in the mornings uh, as much as we can. And then we have other tasks that we have at hand as well. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's sun up to sundown most seven days a week. Sometimes we get Sundays off for church and whatnot. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's a hard lifestyle, um, but it's worth it. Really rewarding, um, especially here in Montana, uh, getting to work outside with the views. And, and with all my listeners, if you go to my socials, uh, TikTok, you'll be able to see what I see and live what I live through um, digital media. So I I just love to share what I'm doing out here and I'm really enjoying it. 
Yeah. And that's how I found you through this was on TikTok. Even one of your videos popped up and it was just that beautiful landscape with the mountains and it was so peaceful. I will say there was some, there was some, you know, the white snow on the ground that being oh, in yeah. Arizona, I'm like, I don't know if I could really do that from the day to day, but yeah, definitely go check it out. It's uh, it's just his social media is amazing. You really feel like you're part of it. It's, it's great. Yeah. Thank you. So being that you moved to Montana, what made you move there? What, what made you pick that on a map or what kind of pushed you that direction in life? You know, that's a great question. I actually still ask myself that today. Um, I <laughs> honestly, there was a random day um, back home in Minnesota. Uh, and at this point, this was in 2020, 2020. It was right before COVID. I was sitting in the winter, just minus 20 degrees out in Minnesota in, in the midwinter. And I'm like, you know, I want to get out of here for a while. I've been in Minnesota my whole life. I want to travel. I want to see different things. And, and whether it was photos, videos, TV shows, you know, I came out to Yellowstone National Park when I was like fourth or fifth grade when I was really young. And I do vividly remember the mountains, the beautiful scenery, the camping, just being outdoors. And so I've been meaning to get back out West here and I did. I, I literally kind of just left my job up in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, the sales job. Um, and I moved back home for a week and talked with my family. And I got in my truck, packed things up, and I just got on Interstate 90 and headed out, out west. I actually didn't know where I was going to end up. I had contacted some ranchers uh, about working and stuff. And so I popped in at a couple different ranches and kind of just wasn't the fit for them or fit for me and uh, ended up in the Bozeman, Montana area and, and fell in love with it. And here I am about almost two years later. That's amazing. It's amazing when you, you kind of have a dream, you're not sure where you're going to end up and you just kind of go with the flow of life. So it's amazing that you have been there for so long now and you enjoy it and it's just become the new normal for you. Most definitely. Yes. So we are talking about mental health awareness. Um, if you do follow Jeremy's social media, his TikTok, his Instagram, he's very vulnerable, especially with all of his followers. And it's very well known that he has had a past with addiction. And now congratulations with your sobriety. That is Thank beyond you. exciting. So yes. we're going to kind of dive into that um, in regards to addiction. Addiction is in many forms, alcoholism, drugs, food, pornography nowadays. Society views each one differently with their own so-called opinions and their viewpoints. So can you tell us a little bit maybe about your struggles and kind of what you went through and now leading into your sobriety and how that's been such an amazing journey for you? Yeah, most definitely. Um it kind of, I drank, started drinking at 18, uh, 17, 18. I would, I, and the first time I tried alcohol, <laughs> funny story, I was like maybe fifth or sixth grade and it was by accident. It wasn't because I was, I was going out to a party or anything in middle school. I had, my dad had a mug and <laughs> he, he had a mixed drink in it. And I thought it was like pop or Kool-Aid or something. And <laughs> I go take a swig of whatever was in there, not knowing what was in it. And, and I spit it right out. So at that point, you know, it, it just wasn't, I, I didn't like it. But uh, when I was a senior in high school, I, well, really throughout high school, my anxiety kind of was taken over and I didn't know anxiety, what it was, how to deal with it or anything. And I had been, 
um, losing uh, people close to me tragically. Um, I had a friend that was texting and driving, went in the back of the school bus, and uh, she was... We lost her my senior year. Actually, it was first day of senior year. So, and then two months later, I lost my grandma. So, depression was really hitting me at that point. Uh, the first start of my senior year of high school back in 2013 or 2012, it would have been that fall. And so, uh, not knowing how to deal with some of that, you know, after I graduated, I was playing sports in high school. So, I didn't get it into drinking too much right then and there. But that following summer, I, I hit it hard, um, just drinking it mo- most weeks, most weekends mostly, and uh, I just thought I was a young kid that uh, was enjoying life at that point. And fast forward a little bit, I ended up at a college town uh, getting my associate degree, and like I said, just drinking m- most weekends in college, just like any other college kid, but something was different. Um I kept blacking out towards the end of my drinking years and, and I was mean. Um, and I, I'll say it to friends and, and family and everything. I was verbally and abu- uh, physically, uh, I ended up shoving people and, and getting in a couple fights and stuff. And it wasn't just who I was. Like I was born and raised Christian and, and alcohol was something that, uh, was was triggering me to do things I wouldn't normally do on a day-to-day basis and I I didn't understand it through those six years of drinking and um, depression I I was losing more people I lost a college roommate Uh, he was it was right around the holidays and or just after the holidays and he got struck by a train after a night out in frigid Minnesota and so I had some mental health issues that was associated and and with different events in my life at the time, uh, between 18 and 24. And I was using alcohol to cope with it. I truly was not aware of the signs of alcoholism or depression, and anxiety. I, uh, didn't really understand it. So one or in March of 2019, I had a series of blackouts back to back to back weekends. And so I, Finally, some things went down in my life, and I ended up asking for help, called my family, and we got in to uh, see a doctor, and they referred me to the addiction center there, a male clinic back home in Minnesota, and so I kind of just surrendered myself um, and surrendered and said, I need help. So I went in to rehab in April of 2019. I was in there inpatient for 30 days at Mayo Clinic, and I really uh, was scared to death. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was, I mean, I hit rock bottom, like maybe the second day in treatment. I mean, I was didn't know what I was in life or who I was and what I was doing there. And just middle of the night, I hit rock bottom uh, mentally and physically. And so I started praying. I started praying for, for forgiveness and, and to help me. And, and sure enough, the next day I felt much better and I was able to kind of get a hold of my mental state of mind at that point. And, uh, going forward, I ended up enjoying rehab and treatment. I mean, I met some awesome people. 
the doctors and the counselors and therapists were tremendous. And uh, so I did that for a month of inpatient 30 days. And then I did about six more months of outpatient, which was just counseling classes and therapy sessions. Um, and it wasn't just about addiction. It was about mental health. Most of it, honestly, um, trying to under, trying to live life without a substance um, and, and creating uh, those emotions when they come to you, you want to deal with them head on without using alcohol or drugs or anything. So it was challenging. But uh, looking back at, at that time in my life in 2019, going from drinking, drinking, drinking to blacking out and being able to uh, get a grasp of my life uh, was one of the best things I've ever done. And sitting here now uh, at the end of April, three years later, I'm three years sober. Congratulations. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I, there's, there's a lot that has gone into it. Um, a lot of support from family and friends. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, I mean, I went I did a, and I, I continue at times to go when I need it, when I need a meeting or when I need to talk to someone, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, uh, do life groups through church, my church and stuff. Uh, it's called overcomers, a fantastic thing where they, uh, bring in the religious side of things, God and stuff. And then the addictions that side of things. And, um, it's just not for alcoholics. It's for addicts and, and being able to, have that community has been a big part of my sobriety in my life so far and creating relationships within the sobriety community and, and recovery is, has been awesome. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been my journey the last three years to sum it all up. And, and here I am. Um, and I guess a little short story is when I decided to move out here, I, I was nervous because I had to create a whole new uh, sobriety community uh, and friends because all, everyone I've kind of met in sobriety were back home in Minnesota. And so when I moved out here to Montana, I knew no one. And so that was a big, big uh, leap for me. And, but with my personality being outgoing and, and I just took, I took a hold of it and made it into a positive. Uh, I want to share things. I want to help people. And so here I am. So I think it's really important that you mentioned that you did have a good support system and you did have your family that you could go to and communicate your struggles with and friends, I'm sure. For anyone of the listeners that possibly does not have that support from family or maybe they're too scared to speak to their family for judgment or their own opinions, what would you give advice for any listener that might be at that point that they think that they're ready to get started on that new sobriety adventure, but they don't have that support system or their circle? Like, What would you suggest for them? You know, going outside your comfort zone, reaching out to, and and it doesn't even have to be in person, whether it was meetings or like if you meet someone at, at uh, an event or local church, you know, um, it's, it's taking that leap of faith um, and wanting it for yourself and being selfish and reaching out and asking questions, um, asking questions. I mean, I, that's kind of what I did. I mean, people, any of the listeners can reach out to me via social media, any of the platforms. My messages are always open. If you guys have any questions about how do you start, how, you know, what the the biggest leap was, you know, and uh, 
I think that's the biggest thing is, is reaching out and, and talking with people. And like I said, that sense of community, uh, we share all share something. We all have struggles, whether it is mental health or addiction. Uh, we all have a similar uh, insight to it. So just reach out. Um, it's hard. It's a lot harder said than done. Um, but uh, if you're at that point, I do recommend uh, reaching out to myself on any of my social platforms or finding that community where you feel comfortable to talk with. Absolutely. I think when it when you use the word alcoholism or alcoholic, I feel like society has such a split perspective of what is considered an an alcoholic or a functioning alcoholic. And I think that those are two completely different things that also might be something you have experience with of how you present your struggle to friends, family, support system. And then with that comes, you know, the anxiety of getting over how you feel and your guilt. So what are your feelings on those those differences? Yeah, I was in denial there the uh, first week or so of, of, of rehab because alcoholic or alcoholism is portrayed of you need a beer every day. You need, you need to drink, or if you're an addict, you need to have this substance, uh, this drug every day of your life. For me, it was, I was drinking, binging, binge drinking on the weekends. Um, I was living for Friday and Saturday. I couldn't wait when it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even Thursday, it's like, ah, I can't, I can't wait till Friday. I got to go out to a local bar and watch the game. And I would always say, you know, I'm just getting wings. No, it would turn into beer, mixed drinks. So um, that narrative of, of an alcoholic goes beyond what everyone knows it as. I mean, if you're striving and you can't wait to have a drink for the weekend, I mean, um, it's definitely something that I've experienced. I mean, I met different types of alcoholics uh, in meetings and in, in, in rehab and addicts. And so um, there's definitely a difference and not a lot of people understand that. And because I was just a 24 year old college kid, you know, I didn't know I was an alcoholic, but learning about alcoholism and the educational part of it was huge because they gave me a list of like warning signs. I'm like, you know, I check off all of them <laughs> and I'm 24 years old. Everyone thinks of alcoholic as an old, old uh, woman or man that uh, has been drinking for 40, 50, 60 years. And, and no, I mean, I only drank for six and here I am checking off every box that an alcoholic is. So, Yeah. With alcoholism, especially, a lot of times you hear of, you know, anyone that's struggling with it, it becomes your primary function. And it's what you normally then will go to protect above all other things at that at that time in your life, over your career, over relationships, family, your own mental health, your emotional, physical, spiritual wellness. How did it affect you in your life at that point where you finally hit that breaking point of like, I've had enough of this lifestyle and I think I'm now ready to, to make a change? Yeah, I so short stories with that aspect for for my personal stories. I was finding ways, can, and I kind of mentioned it. Uh, I was finding ways to go out to bars uh, to watch a game that was on TV to in in or wing night or or whatever, and it was an excuse to go find uh, a drink, is what it was. And you know, I was working. I was done at that point with uh, my associate degree. So I was out of the college town I originally started drinking in. 
And so I was living up in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota and and I was finding ways to still drink three, four times a week because that was the lifestyle I was living in college. Um, and young people uh, will kind of understand a little bit about that or people that had that college experience because you're drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and that's just what it was. And so that lifestyle transitioned into my everyday lifestyle when I went full-time job after I got done with my associate degree. And so I, the breaking point was, um, one night I got bounced out of a bar and hurt some people I loved and, and ended up not knowing what I did because I was blacked out. And the next morning I was told what happened. And sure enough, I, uh, things changed drastically in my life. Uh, people left me and, and loved ones were worried and people close to me didn't even know that it was as bad as what it, it was, I should say. And so, like I said before, I surrendered and, and that's, that was my breaking point, learning what had happened in the situations when I was out of the bar and not knowing why I was scared I, I, looking back at it, it's scary when you, when you don't know what you're doing and, and you drink that much alcohol and you can't cut yourself off. It's a scary thought and it's, it's looking back at it. It's, you don't know what you're doing. And so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some believe that alcoholism is genetic and it cannot be changed. It's, it's just how you are, how you were raised and you're kind of just it's just kind of your pathway. Um, and then some also view it as a choice. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of that other spectrum of, you know, when there's maybe not a support system that some people have of, you know, we'll just stop drinking, just, just lower it to one drink, or, you know, just like you said, change it just to the weekend or you have control. So for listeners that may think that that is part of it, what's your, what's your outtake on this? Like, how do you feel about that topic? It, it is a, unique topic. It's, it's something that's controversial and definitely a great discussion um, because alcoholism is a disease in your brain. It's a mental disease. Um, and, and that's what it is. And so, but it's not necessarily genetically because my parents and my sister uh, who are my intermediate family, they don't have this problem. They're social drinkers. They're able to control it. They're able to cut themselves off. So I didn't grow up around an alcoholic family or friends. Um, all my family friends are, you know, casual, normal uh, drinkers, I guess you could say. So, you know, I developed a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I developed this, this mental state where I, was able to drink this, this able to be there, uh, in, a, I guess I'm losing my words right now, but being able to understand mentally, uh, where you don't understand. And what I mean by that is you don't have control over your, your, your thoughts at that point when you're in addiction. And so you got this little voice in your side of your head, just like it is with anxiety or depression with alcoholism. It's telling you you're fine. You don't need it or you do need it, but you don't need to worry about that. It's a problem. So, um, you know, it is genetic in a sense where I have met people where it is a family issue. It's been passed down. 
and there's me where it wasn't a family issue, wasn't genetically passed down um, necessarily. I know like some distant relatives of mine had had problems in the past um, with drinking, but my immediate family and even my grandparents, it wasn't an issue. So uh, developing alcoholism is a real thing. You can develop that disease. So that that's kind of, I mean, there's, it's, it's a wide topic of, of different areas you can dive into uh, genetically and how it just develops. And I was in denial as well, because it's like, uh, I didn't get it passed down. Why me? And so, but I accepted it. And, and uh, you know, the serenity prayer has been big for me in that aspect. So, so for listeners that you know, may be extremely strong in their faith as I'm, you know, I'm hearing you were raised in that kind of atmosphere and they may be struggling with this because those two things don't, don't tie together. When you go to church, you're always told, you know, growing up, I was always told, you know, this is, this is a sin. This is a sin. So when you felt this aspect of your life merging kind of with, you know, how you were brought up, did it bring any shame or guilt or how do you, how did you get through that part? Oh yeah. And that was part of my, uh, mental and rock bottom breakdown in rehab was um, for those six years when every weekend I was too hung over to go to church on Sundays. Yeah. They hold other services throughout the week, but I was too busy. Well, that was my excuse. So I was raised going to church every Sunday. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I did it all uh, in a Lutheran setting uh, in my religion. And so I kind of was shameful. I felt guilty that I wasn't praying regularly. I wasn't going to church. Um, I skipped a lot of years of of being faithful and looking to that side of things that can really help you mentally and physically. And so when I broke down in rehab, I had surrendered my, not just my sobriety, but my faith. I'm like, I need you. I, I need the guy above. And so in sobriety, that has been one thing I've really got back is my spirituality, my faith, and, and the serenity prayer um, has been big. I even got a tattoo of it on my arm. So I kind of look into my spirituality and faith to as one of the biggest reasons uh, for me being where I'm at mentally and sober. So. So with alcoholism and drinking and it just becomes part of your routine and as people call it, the so-called part of a habit. So in your sobriety now you create new healthy habits. So what have you, what have you kind of gotten into? Like, what is your new routine? Especially when you struggle, if you have those setbacks, cause it's always a thing. I mean, yeah. once you know, once you end, it's always, you know, a, a, a daily struggle, a monthly struggle, a yearly struggle. So what are your new habits? What are you focusing more positive, like on your attention to kind of keep you focused and in line? Yeah, those, I mean, every day is different. Um, but I try and keep that routine the same. Um, I mean, that's, I take it only 24 hours and, and that's a big thing in sobriety and recovery is because you, you create that daily routine when you are in active addiction uh, of whether it's you're in the morning drinking or midday or, or nightly at the bar, I mean, you, you create that habit. And so that's one thing we 
learned and I learned myself was breaking those habits and creating new routines and habits, uh, healthy habits and routines. And so my lifestyle, since I've moved out here, I'm more active outdoors, um, finding ways to be outside. I know working on the ranch, I'm always outside. Uh, but the times I do get uh, off the ranch, I'm out on the river fishing or on the lake. Uh, I'm in on the trails hiking. Uh, I'm doing things, uh, even photography and capturing videos that you will see on my social media. I didn't even know it, but I love taking photos and videos just of the landscape, the nature. Um, it's, it's something that, uh, I learned in rehab that, uh, that's a healthy, healthy habit for me is, is capturing moments in life and being in the moment. And I think, but my daily routine is just, you know, wake up, have a cup of coffee, smile, and know that today's a new day. And, um, it's not always happy like that, but, you do your best to stay at that uh, set mm-hmm. of mind every morning. So, and there's so many different aspects throughout the day uh, and weeks and months that can trigger myself, but um, cr- finding ways to stay uh, mentally and physically um, aware of what is there can definitely help me. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be completely uh, oh, aware of, uh, that, you know, it is still there in my mind, the alcoholism. Um, there's days where I'll be, go out for a bite to eat and I'll have to get a table instead of sitting at the bar because it'll be triggering. So finding different ways to go out to eat and and be in a setting where I'm okay. And over the last three years, I have been able to be okay in those settings. So um, yeah, just my advice is to find those healthy habits that you enjoy each and every day. Um, You might not even know it. That's why I said taking photos and videos. I didn't realize it until I actually was doing it that this is a hobby of mine. Um, not a business. Yeah. You have a so. you have a really good eye for it too. Make sure you check out his social media. Um, if it does not move you to want to just pack up a bag and relocate, that shows right there you definitely have a passion and an eye and a talent you for it. You. So that's yep. it's amazing. I think it's key that you stated, you know, you needed when you go in, even to a restaurant instead of sitting at the bar, which was used to be your normal, I'm sure, yep. to moving to a table, you used the word and the phrase, I'm okay. And I think it's huge to really allow listeners to realize that it's not just once you put down any type of addiction, you're not so-called cured. It's a struggle and it's okay. It's okay to create a new normal. It's okay to create a new pattern. So I'm really proud to hear those words that I'm probably sure you didn't even realize, but you're just like, I can sit at a table and I'm okay. Exactly. And there's not that judgment from other people, especially I'm, I'm sure it's really hard with friends, you know, especially at our age, like, no, come to the bar, come to the bar. But it's the point you said, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. So not only are you accepting it, but it sounds like you're accepting a new lifestyle on the day to day. So it's good for listeners to know you're not cured. It's not going to be something that's like taking a pill. And once you do this, you know, the rest of your life is going to be great and everything you expected. So with that, what are 
what is probably your biggest fear right now in, in life and in sobriety? What, what is the one thing that is a fear, but you're tackling as often as you can? That's a great question. Um, a fear of mine is, and honestly, I have nightmares of drinking again. Uh, the biggest fear is relapsing. And I'm a very competitive person. I grew up playing all different types of sports. And and so when I know that uh, something doesn't feel right, I get scared. Um, it is a big fear of mine is, is having another drink. And I think that's because I have that fear. That's why I take each day and uh, be grateful and have that gratitude that I am sober. But I, you know, fearing uh, what I could be again, but also knowing I fear if I lose faith, that will be devastating. So drinking again and losing faith are my two biggest fears at this point in my life uh, in sobriety. And yeah, so. So if there's a listener maybe right now that Maybe they feel it's it's in their family, their dad, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, and they just see this as this is my normal life. This is what I was given. This is what I was, you know, was handed. Um, they may be listening and thinking, you know, well, my life can't get any worse. Um, you know, maybe it affected their marriage, their relationships, their children, um, their job, their career. So if they're sitting there in kind of this negative just tailspin of like, well, this is my life and I'm accepting because this is just what I'm supposed to be. I always feel that there's a little bit inside of every, every single one of us that we just want better for ourselves, but we just don't know how to get there. So if you have a listener right now that may be sitting there and sitting like, yeah, this is me, but I'm going to fail or I'm not going to make it. He made it this many years. I could never do that. What would you say to this person if they could, if you had a one-on-one right now and they were sitting right here with us, what, what advice would you give them? Be selfish. Do you. Don't worry about anybody, uh, anybody other's thoughts. Um, I've had that uh, experience with other friends that it is their norm. It's their family thing. Like, and, and so the biggest, I think the biggest fear in someone that's listening that is almost there to take that leap of faith and to be sober um, from drugs or alcohol. I think it's what others are going to think. Oh, well, you're not going to get invited to all these different events and stuff or maybe be disliked in your home um, because you're not part of their group. Uh, Be selfish. Do, Do you. It's your life. Um, and so, and that's what I did. And that's what I've had other friends in sobriety do. They were selfish. They wanted to do it from themselves. So, you know, if you're on the, on the edge of what to do, or you're just like, you know, this is, this isn't, uh, this is just my life. And this is how I, you know, have lived all these years of in this addiction, uh, you know, kind of re rethink and reevaluate what your life, how you want it, write down some uh, goals that you have. Can you achieve them if you're in current addiction? Do you, c- can you use that as a motivation to take that leap of faith? 
Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about mental health awareness in the very beginning. Um, like I said, May is the mental health awareness month and talking about anxiety and depression. And I know you said that in, in the very beginning, something that you struggled with. Did you struggle more with anxiety, depression, and use the drinking as a coping mechanism? Or then eventually, once you were in your addiction, did it actually flip where you were getting anxiety and depression because of your addiction? Oh, I would say it was, I was drinking to cope with my anxiety and depression. My anxiety was sky high. I've never been on medication for my mental health. And so um, I was worrying about random different things, you know, be leaving the lights on, stuff like that, just random things in life that uh, would trigger my anxiety. And and uh, and then when I was losing people uh, to death uh, that were loved ones that were close to me, I would feel so sad. And so I would go out because I couldn't feel those feelings. I couldn't feel that anxiety when I was drinking. And I would drink so much that uh, I couldn't feel it. And so and then the next day, actually, the next day would my anxiety actually, my depression wouldn't be as bad, but uh, that hangover, the anxiety would be sky high again. So I don't know. I didn't know in the in the time how to deal with it. So later in that day, I would go drinking again because my anxiety was so high. So it was within the addiction. And so now, uh, three years sober, I have gotten therapy for my mental health and I'm on medication and it's done wonders. I, I, I love not feeling those feelings. And when I do, cause they're still there. When I do, I just face them head on. Uh, I talk to myself uh, in terms of it's okay. It's going to be all right. It, it's this situation for this reason. Um, and that's where my faith comes in and I pray and know that the one above is, is telling me this is, a reason for this situation. So, yeah. I think it's important for every listener to know it's also not just based on if you're a male or a female, you'll deal with this addiction. If you come from poverty or you're extremely wealthy, or if you have a great, fantastic career or you're unemployed, this goes across the whole entire spectrum. So it can affect every single person. Um, If you are listening to this and you just need an outreach or someone to talk to, like Jeremy said, you can always reach out to his social media at any time. You can reach out to mine as well. Or you can also call it, it's a company called NAMI. It's the Mental Health National Alliance um, contact. They can be reached at 1-800-950-6264. They have many volunteers that will listen to you at any time. So if you just don't want anyone in your life that may be personal or you feel that they may judge you or based on your lifestyle, you can always call the National Alliance on Mental Health number at 1-800-950-6264. So let's get into a little bit real quick, moving to Montana. You, I mean, anybody that's seen your videos, you are in the middle of nowhere and that's amazing. Do you think that this has kind of in an aspect helped your sobriety or do you feel even it may impede on it because you are so secluded and you're kind of just on your own out there. Yeah, that's a great question. I believe it has uh, helped it, honestly. Um, Doing what I love and being outdoors and and being on this ranch and and being able to say, uh, do what I want to do, honestly, because I don't have to deal with uh, waiting for things, waiting on people, um, and so mentally that can, that can definitely be, uh, and a lot of people do mentally go out on a walk, go, go out 
um, on a hike, go fishing, do something outdoors because it, it clears up a lot of their mental anxiety or depression and it can really help a person. So I think being so secluded here in Montana has definitely helped me with my mental health and sobriety. And um, because honestly, I was more of a social bug for my drinking. That's why I mentioned uh, I would always go out on the weekends. And so not having, you know, that go-to bar or restaurant close by helps me because I would have to drive an hour to to get uh, to the next little town. So, but moving to Montana has been amazing. Great people out here. Um, Really feels like home, honestly, the small town, the small, small community uh, that I grew up in, in Minnesota. uh, That's what it is out here in Montana. And I'm sure everyone in a small town in the United States or Canada or wherever you're listening can definitely relate to that community sense. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great question. And we see on your social media, you do bull riding you. I mean, you're kind of on the all aspect of cowboy, like you live on a ranch, you do the bull riding and you've got it all. What got you into that lifestyle? Have you done it like growing up? Was it just kind of a new hobby that you're like, I'm going for this? Yeah, it was a new hobby. I, uh, I was, I was one of those young boys that always enjoyed going to the rodeos and the bull riding events back in Minnesota. We didn't have a lot of them like they do out West here. Um, but when, when they came around, I was always asking my parents uh, to buy tickets so we could go in. And we did. I used to do the little mutton busting where you get on the sheep and hold on and, and whatnot. And you get like a little ribbon or trophy or whatever. And um, so I've always had that itch to get into rodeo, but just wasn't my thing growing up. I was in football, basketball, hockey, baseball. And so I played those sports growing up. So when last year I'm, I was 26 last summer and I'm like living on this ranch and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go enter a rodeo tonight. I'm going to go get on a bull for my first time ever. So I paid $30 wow. and I ended up at West Yellowstone rodeo over there in West Yellowstone, Montana. And, and sure enough, I got bucked off and slung off right away, but I had one hell of a ride for the 1.5 seconds. <laughs> I have a a good friend of mine here. He actually lives in Arizona, him and his wife too. You guys might know him from American Gladiator. He was the wolf character. Uh, His name is Hollywood Yates. He's on all kinds of social media. Um, He actually sings. He actually just came out with his own whiskey line. It's very interesting. They just got it bottled and he always plays his music up here. It's like a tiny little saloon. They have the bull riding. I can say, yes, me with my eyelash extensions and all, I rode a sheep with a helmet on out the chute. I didn't last very long, but I was like, yeah, let's give this a try. So I can say I've done that. The bull riding. I don't know. I don't think I'm that. I don't think I'm that. Yeah. I have got hooked. It's an addiction (laughs) in itself, to be honest. And being an, uh, an addict to alcohol, you know, it's, it's that adrenaline. It's it's the competitiveness of myself uh, that drives me to uh, continue. I've been on ten bulls now since the first one last summer, and I plan on uh, hitting up a bunch of rodeos here uh, this summer in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. So if you're around, if you're listening, um, come on out. Uh, I'll be be around. You might catch me at one of the rodeos. So uh, and and living this ranch lifestyle. I grew up dairy farming, farming and milking cows and do uh, harvesting corn, soybeans and hay. And so cattle ranching is so much different than the Midwest farming. 
And, and so I've learned a lot, a lot of new things. I didn't grow up riding horses. So now I bought my own horse. Her name is Harley. She's just about seven years old. She's a paint registered Sorrel. And so she is a sweetheart and I've been just swinging the rope off her. I have her at a trainer right now to kind of put more rides on and I'm just living life and going every day with what it brings to me. And so um, being out here has, has been a life changing, but in the greatest way possible. So um, mm-hmm. never, I mean, I've always dreamed of it, but I'm actually living that dream now. And I think it's good to say, I, there is a new dream and there's a new uh, adventure coming up for you. And we're, I'm so ecstatic to see this. As soon as I saw it on social media, I'm like, oh, I am so proud of you. That's the coolest thing. So I said, we would kind of let everybody in on a little secret, but we said, right when you came in, you're this bull riding cowboy starting to learn how to ride a horse. Um, can you, can you kind of give us a little sneak peek? Like what is this new adventure that's coming up in your life? Yeah, just actually a couple of weeks away. I got an email this morning, but I will be an extra actor in season five of Yellowstone. Uh, that's filmed out here in Montana. Uh, I got, I applied for it just via email send some photos, some information. And sure enough, I got a call just a few days ago, or it would be about a week ago now. And I uh, got confirmed for a couple different scenes here in May that they're filming here in Montana. And um, all I know so far I can give you is I, I'll just, there, there'll be a, I'll be in the background uh, of a party all dressed up in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and a nice little suit. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And there'll be a couple other scenes that I applied for that I'll be working as well. Uh, they'll be filming from May through November. So all summer, there'll be different opportunities and different scenes. I have to reapply for each one of them, but I do have two confirmed scenes I'll be in in Yellowstone season five. So I'm really excited. You can catch that on Paramount uh, channel here next fall, I believe is the kind of initial launch date late fall. So uh, you can catch that and you can watch my journey. Uh, I'll put as much as I can on my socials about filming here in Montana, but I've kind of also got the nickname Jimmy a little bit because I am newer into the cattle ranching. Uh, I, I'm just learning to ride a horse. Um, I'm, uh, honestly, I feel like I'm a great person, uh, laid back, you know, Jimmy, uh, does have a where he comes from this lifestyle of doing drugs and he was in jail and everything and and now he's clean and and uh from at least the drugs he was doing and now he's uh, creating a whole new life in the show uh so it really jimmy as a character really relates to me and i don't necessarily have a name for my character uh that i know of just because i'm an extra but be on the lookout in season five uh, you might catch me in there. Yeah, we, we're always on social media talking. I mean, most of the men, they're interested in, you know, all the fight scenes and all, you know, all the, the storyline. Us women, we're more interested in, you know, Rip and seeing all the cowboys. And I mean, let's be honest. But we always watch that show every single episode, every single night. We're ready to go. I usually will wait and hold off and just binge as much as I can, especially on road trips. I always have it up to watch. So I'm really excited to see you and kind of scope you out in the back. I'm ecstatic that you get this opportunity. Um, but like you said, you have gone through so much and 
you are technically kind of recreating what your character is in real life because you've gone through so much. So to end this episode, and I can't even thank you enough for being on with me and the listeners. I'm sure you've helped so many. If you could look back and you've had your sobriety for now three years, if you could look back and see where you are today, what would you tell your future self in the next three years? That's that's phenomenal. I thank you so much uh, for having me and all this discussion topics. It's very important uh, that we do talk about it. And so I would say from myself three years ago, I, I wouldn't be in Montana, but I could dream about it three years ago um, that when I first went into rehab, it wasn't on my mind to be out here. And just like I said, you take each day and you live it for those 24 hours. So if I'm looking at myself in three years, I just want the best for myself. I want to tell myself to strive for the best, strive for the stars. And, and who knows what can happen. Um, Just two months ago, I didn't know I was going to be an extra on Yellowstone season five. And I took that leap of faith and here I am, uh, getting ready, uh, getting my outfits together, ready to head over and film uh, a couple episodes of Yellowstone. So if uh, you're a listener and you're wondering how I've got here and what my future holds, I don't know what my future holds, but all I know is today I'm going to be the best for myself. I like that. I think of this episode, what I've taken and just talking to you for the last 45 minutes, it's it's been that you embrace your faith. You also embrace your fears and you also have a little bit of fun in there along the Most way. Definitely. So I think that's really important. And you gotta, that's you important. gotta, what is, what's the saying? Live, laugh, and love. Yep. yep. <laughs> My mom has that in their brand new house on a sign. So, <laughs> but it is, it is such a great uh, little saying. So. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being open. Um, I always say that this podcast is just raw. It is not edited. Uh, We're just going to put this right up. Exactly. So if you're listening right now, just know that anything that you're struggling with, whether it is alcoholism as an addiction or another type of addiction, you're not alone. There's always somebody there to listen to you, not to judge you and embrace you for who you are, because the future you is going to thank you for it. And there's so much opportunity in the future for every single one of us. So thank you again so much for being on. I greatly appreciate it. I can't wait to see more videos of the bull riding. Most definitely. I think you have a couple weeks to start learning how to ride that horse, just in case they throw you on in the background. And guys, make sure you follow his social media and follow along his journey as well. Thank you for having me, Little. It was an honor. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and spending your time hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast and a special thank you to all our sponsors. Make sure to check them out. If you have any tips or topics, feel free to email me at littlebitoflifecast at gmail.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at littlecute1az. You never know if your topic will be next. Be sure to join me again for another episode of Little Bit of Life. Until next time, stay positive, stay blessed.